Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. We're here with Pat Travers. I told you I was a big fan of yours growing up. How are you? Uh, Frank, I'm just wonderful. I'm, it's great to hear from you today and um, just excited to be alive. You know, I don't know if everyone knows that you, you grew up and you were born in Canada, right? Were you Toronto? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, I thought people always saw you more as a, uh, like a Southerner. Yeah, that's always been, uh, you know, that I've had that, not so much now, but I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, I was born in Canada, I was born in Toronto, I, I started playing music in Ottawa when I was about 14 years old, and then, uh, uh, you know, played forever for, until I was just turned 21 and I went to London, England for three years and that's where I got my re- recording deals and started making albums and stuff. And, um, you know, initially in the U.S. we got a lot of airplay in Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas and Texas and things like that. But we also got a lot of airplay in the Bay Area and Chicago and Boston and New York. But I think the fact that we, you know, I chose to come to Miami in 1978 and record an album and um you know maybe it was because we were down in florida all the time that people just kind of thought we were some sort of southern band but you know at that time the bass player was english the pastoral was from california from oakland and tommy was from well he was from the south but i was from canada so yeah it was always interesting that, that, that we did get sort of stained with that southern rock thing yeah, well, I don't know if it was a stain. I mean, certainly people were excited. I know I moved down to Florida. Okay, well, let me let me let me put it differently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to insult anybody. Let's say when we were shaded. Right, right. There that. You, you, yeah, right. You were named. You were you were labeled. Yeah, you were labeled. exactly. But that's all right. Yeah, I don't think anybody took offense. We knew what you meant. No. But uh, any, you mentioned England. Uh, did you get a, a a deal with Polydor over there, or was that an? Yes, yeah, that I sure did. That's uh, was. The, one of the major things that happened to me, and that happened, oh boy, within you know like four or five months of me moving there. So it was all pretty exciting. Um, you know, I got a major record deal. I mean, it wasn't at that point; it was just a Polydor UK. Uh, and, but we were selling albums in the U.S. as imports. So you know that ultimately they signed us to the world out of New York with. Uh, polygram. So, yeah, it was all pretty cool. We're here with Pat Travers. And Pat, what year was that? What year did you get your deal with Polydor? Got, well, I signed with Polydor right before Christmas since 1975, and then we got to work. We released the new album, the very first album, in April of 76. So it didn't take very long from the, the time of being signed to releasing the first album. And then we released another album later that year. Um, we did the Making Magic album. And boy, and then we did another album in the middle of the next year. So we did like three albums in two years, you know, at that point. It was crazy. Yeah, well, that's how people were doing it. Even Kiss, they were putting out two albums a year at that point. And yeah. things changed. Yeah, the shelf life of an album was about three to six months. Yeah, and then somewhere it changed. Where would you think? MTV? That was a big change. Um, yeah, and, and I, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I kind of resented um, having to do these videos because they just seem so stupid to me, you know? <laughs> and they really haven't gotten yeah. any better, I don't think. 
Yeah, I don't um, even know if they do it anymore. Does MTV even do music? Yeah, anymore? well, yeah, but you can do something for YouTube, I suppose, you know. Yeah, maybe they're not as bad. I mean, we're, we're going to be doing some videos to promote the new songs, and and I want them mostly just to be performance videos, you know, or just great shots of the guys. I, I hate it when they do all this other stuff. It's just dumb. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. But, you know, it's something that has to be done, so we'll do it our own way and hopefully be happy with it. Uh, in 1975, when you signed the deal with Polydor over there, who did they team you up with? Who who were you touring with early on? Hmm. We were very lucky. Uh, our first major tour was with a band called the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Now, they didn't really meet much over here in the U.S., but in the U.K. and Europe, they were huge, and uh, they were a band from Glasgow, Scotland, and... Uh, they just they were totally unique. They did a, a lot of very theatrical presentation. Uh the guys all had their own little kind of uniforms. Uh, the guitar player was like a mime and white face and Alex mm. was kinda like a, a swashbuckling pirate thing. But they they had awesome rock and roll music. They were so good. And uh so it was a major tour of all the big venues which aren't that big in the UK but you know at the time it was it was really good for us we got to play in all the major big venues in all the cities in the UK and that was an awesome tour we're here with Pat Travers if you're just tuning in and uh, Pat you you mentioned uh, that early tour and what what type of venues were they were they uh, were the clubs uh, uh, no arenas? no we played we played like the Hammersmith Odeon and oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, the Glasgow Apollo when it was still there, and it was an infamous venue. It was such a cool place to play that people just went nuts. The whole place shook. I mean, it felt like it was going to fall apart. It was just very cool. Uh, these were all these classic places. And some of those, these venues still exist, and people still play them, but uh, they were all like three to 5,000-seat places, you know. Well, let's let's go back a little, if you don't mind. Let's let's do a little history on Pat Travers. Uh, you you were born in Toronto. Yep. And you grew sure up. Was. You grew up in Toronto. Well, I I grew up in Toronto, and then my family, because of my dad's work, we moved around a little bit up to some of these northern Ontario towns like North Bay and Sudbury. What did he do, your and father? What did your father do? My dad sold that big. Uh, construction equipment for the sites that, you know, like they were building, um, uh, what do they call it, the dew line, NORAD and all that. They were building all these radar domes up in the Arctic Circle, and they needed big, huge machines to do the work. They, these were these giant Euclid trucks and stuff. I remember as a kid seeing them, and they were just, you know, the tires were as big as a six-foot man. You know, they were just yeah. crazy big. So that was interesting, but uh, he unfortunately, when he he passed away when I was pretty young, and so we moved to Ottawa at that point because my mom's brother lived there, and my uh, who's my uncle, and he had a music store. So I was lucky enough to get my first guitar from him when I was twelve years old. And I, I imagine everyone at that point was a Beatles fan, right? Of of some kind. Exactly, we were. Heavy Beatles fan. Yeah, Hendrix and Hendrix as well, because uh, you know I was about thirteen when I first heard Hendrix. When I first heard it was either Foxy Lady or Purple Haze, it put me in such a state I really couldn't remember what the song was. But it had to be one of those two. 
I heard it on the radio, and it was like just mind blowing. And so I was immediately the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan in the world, and was lucky enough to get to see him play as well. Um, March nineteenth, nineteen sixty-eight, in uh, Ottawa at the Capitol Theater. Uh, that was an awesome experience. It's amazing. Everyone who mentions that they they have seen Hendrix always knows the exact date and <laughs> and venue. Yeah, well, it's I am- even know what seat I was in too. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's got to be that's that's got to be exciting. It was very exciting. It was it was beyond words exciting at the time. I'd never seen one Marshall amp, let alone three Marshall stacks that he was using. And same with uh, Noel Redding. He had uh, a Coliseum Sun amps. He had like three of those. It was just ridiculously loud. I'd never heard anything like that before in my life. How about your first band? High school. Yeah, well, uh, just about, yeah, high school for sure, yeah, because um, I was like 14, so I must have just been, you know, in the early part of high school, and uh, my brother, my older brother Kevin played bass, and my best friend Stephen Peacock played drums, and, uh, you know, we just kind of bashed around and tried to play Cream songs and Hendrix songs, and I don't even remember what else we tried to play. And, uh, but eventually we got pretty good and we got a singer and, uh, you know, by the time I was 15, we had a proper band and we were playing around and had a booking agent and eventually we were even in the musicians union. That was funny. Wow. Yeah, because I remember I had to get a special waiver because you couldn't normally join until you were 16 and I was 15. So, but they let me join anyway. The differences between Canadian music business and the American music business uh, it, people point to the the BBC. They have a uh, don't they have a law that they have to play a certain amount of Canadian born music? You know that's right. Um, most of that happened after I'd already left, and it you know it, it didn't affect me that much initially, but it did as they got more rigid with their rules. And now I believe to be qualified for Canadian content, it has to be three or four things, and that's written by a Canadian, performed by a Canadian, recorded in Canada, and I'm not sure what the fourth one is. So it's kind of hard to qualify, even if you're actually still a Canadian. You know, you have to record it there or have all Canadians recorded it uh, and write it to. That's it. It has to be written by a Canadian. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty strict, you know. So when you go up to Canada, you hear a lot of guess who and a lot of backman turn overdrive and a lot of rush and uh, who else. Because, uh, see, they can play those guys. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but it's like, you know, enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you still have your citizenship up there? Or you... Yeah, I, I still am a Canadian citizen, yeah. But I, I, I don't. I haven't lived there in half my life. I live in Florida, in, uh, just outside of Orlando. Now, what made you decide to go to England? You didn't have any bites yet, uh, for the, as far as the label goes, or you didn't have any interest? I had nothing. I had no contacts. I had zero. I had nothing but bravado and, uh, and hope. Um, but what had happened is uh, I had a friend of mine who I've recently just got back in touch with after 37 years. A young guy, but he was doing really well in business, and uh, he... He was the one who suggested that I go to England, and he provided my airplane ticket and a little bit of cash to kind of survive and get started for a few months. So 
it was a it was a cool thing that happened, you know. And um, yeah, I'm very thankful for that. Who was your A and R man? Who who founded you? Was it somebody who went on to uh, great heights, or is it somebody? No, but the, the, no, it's funny though. But the guy's name was Chris Pierce, and uh, he was very very uh, upper crust English guy. But he'd been involved with some blues things and uh, with um, a Spencer Davis group and things like that. And so he really liked kind of blues and American stuff. And my demo was loaded with like R&B and stuff. So he really liked it. And he was the one who initially gave me a record deal, which we subsequently dropped and moved on to another thing with Polydor. But anyway, that's a different story. But Chris, I, I never saw him... Again, really, after I signed with Polydor and left Phonogram, and and I, you know, I lament that now because he he was a very important person to me in the early days of my career. When you started breaking in America, did the label, did the local label, see you differently because you were signed out of uh, out of Great Britain, or did they did they see you as a as one of their own? Uh, you know, I. I wouldn't really know. Um, I only have my own experience, and I think um, I don't think they really saw me as any different. Uh, you know, I was just a guy that they had to get interviews for and uh, get them to the interviews on time. And in their eyes, hopefully, the guy was like on time and would get up and would be sober. So most of the time, I tried <laughs> right. to do that, you know, and be cooperative. Others didn't. Uh, how about your mom? I, I know your your dad had passed early. Was your mom supportive early on? Yeah, she sure was. Uh, one of the songs on the new album uh, called Long Time Gone, and, and I kind of wrote about those very early days when I was about 14. And uh, and uh, she would drive us with our gear, you know, our little speaker cabinets and drums and stuff, and we'd stick them in the trunk and in the back seat, and there'd barely be enough room for us. So we might even have to make two trips or something, go into whatever, um, you know, church basement or some kind of recreation club that we would go and play. And and uh, so in the song I go, uh, in a 64 Falcon, my mama would drive us all over the place. So, yeah, she was she was it. It was cool. Uh, she's passed away now? Yeah, she, she did uh, quite some time ago, actually. How about you? Do you, oh. Oh, you got a dog out here. Hold on a second. I got a barky dog. Be quiet. <laughs> what is he? What kind of dog? What kind of, that's a little chihuahua. I got stuck with three chihuahuas and a dachshund. Don't ask me how that happened. <laughs> I always had Great Danes and, and Rottweilers, and all of a sudden I got four yappy little dogs. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? Well, keep them away from the gators down there, right? They'll, uh, they'll eat those things as snacks. But, uh, the Gators? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I probably, There's uh, not too far from us across the street. There's an area that if we get a lot of rain, it fills up and turns into a little lake, and a, a gator will come in there. I spotted one one year. I haven't been over there in a while, but I'm sure there's one there now. Oh, I lived, I, I lived in Deltona. Oh, yeah, that's just up the street from me. I'm in Apopka. Yeah, I lived in Deltona, and I know people, if they were near Lake Gleason, and at certain times there were a couple of gators, and in there, and uh, and and if they leave uh, leave a dog on a leash, all of a sudden they come back and the leash is there, <laughs> and the dog's not, you know. And it's, no, uh, I know. Oh yeah, they're they're great at catching dogs, you know, because dogs love them. They want they don't see the whole body; they just see a little bit of it, and they think it's something else. They'll swim like crazy right out to them, you know. <laughs> so anyway, let's change yeah. the subject. <laughs> yeah, we're we're here with Pat Travers talking about music business and, we're and gators. About gators. 
Gators. Gators and Chihuahuas. But, yeah, uh, not a good mix. Yeah, that's all right. But I, I, I know you were real popular down in that area. On They had a lot of festivals back in the 80s. And you, you were a headliner uh, and just a, a real popular uh, act for all of that outdoor, you know, these outdoor festivals. I mean, do yeah, you, we used to love those. Yeah, yeah you got to miss that, right? The, the music business has they changed. They were so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a real, uh, real big ego boost to go to these big ass gigs and and uh, you know, with all those people, all that energy. It was just really something special. When did you hook up with Pat Thrall? Well, that happened in uh, 1978. The early part, we. Uh, had, we were in New York rehearsing initially with Tommy Aldridge, who joined the band, and then we started out on the road. And then a little while later, we met up with Pat Thrall because um, Neil Sean from Journey yep. recommended him. Ah. I don't even know how it got out that I was looking for another guitar player, but I sort of was. But anyway, Pat came along, and he was so cool, and he hung out with us and went on the road and uh, would jam at sound checks and things like that and we just really got a good you know feeling and uh, so he joined the band and then we recorded the uh, Heat in the Street album in 78. You know I know Tommy Aldridge uh, later went on to play with Ozzy but he was uh, Black Oak Arkansas before you or after you? No before me that's when I first saw him I saw him uh, two times, I think, on TV with Black Oak, Arkansas, and I was super impressed. And uh, basically, he got to join the band without even us playing with him, which was kind of weird. But uh, it all worked out in the end. And that was uh, that was some lineup, actually. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, that's a great lineup. Especially when when we had Pat. I mean, on a good night, the band was incredible. It really was. And on a bad night, I think people would argue you guys were pretty good also. So. And on a bad night, we were pretty good, too. Yeah. As far as the lineups go, uh, you know, you've had a lineup, a lot of lineups over the year, and I guess uh, it'd be politically correct to say <laughs> that the current lineup's the best, but take out the current lineup. Uh, what was your, What do you think was your strongest lineup? Well, I'm really, you know, the guys I'm playing with now with uh, Kirk McKim on guitar, Kirk's been playing with me now for over eight years. Even before that, he, he was kind of a big fan, or he, he, he knew my material. He was always familiar with it. And even now, like on the new album, when, you know, some of these new songs I wrote, the, the stuff that he plays over top of the tunes is just, you know, something I would never do. So I'm really happy to have Kirk. He's, he's very talented. And Rodney O'Quinn is our bass player, and Rodney came at the beginning of 2008. He's just awesome. He's great live. I'm real happy to have him and be traveling with him. And uh, Sandy Gennaro, who played with me for the first time on drums in 1981 through, like, 83. And, uh, you know, we did a couple albums and a bunch of big tours. And Sandy then went on to play with uh, Cindy Lauper and Joan Jett and... Um, the Monkees and Davy Jones and, and even Bo Diddley. So, but when I needed a drummer in 2010, I only made one phone call, and that was to Sandy. And uh, he's been with us since then, so it's a tough band. Well, that's a good one. That was a good yeah, phone great call. one. Check out the new album, You Be the Judge. Yeah, well, actually, give us a website while we're talking. Uh, do you have a website that you can point people to? Well, yeah, but, you know, that's something that's, like kind of not active right now but uh just i do mostly everything on my facebook page so just check out pat travers band facebook and uh you'll 
be able to get in touch with me personally. Now, I'll tell you uh, one thing. I, I don't know if I've ever read it anywhere, but we, we used to own it. My brother and I owned a newspaper, and we used to interview you know, you know, all kinds of hard rock bands. And I remember once we were interviewing Metallica, and, and a couple of the guys brought you up as an influence. Um, I don't know if you ever heard that. Uh, Kirk Hammett, I think. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. I'm always flattered when I hear that. Um, there's, you know, one or two or three or four guys out there that when they do interviews, they'll mention me, and it's always very flattering. But, uh, the one that I love the best was Dimebag Daryl yeah. from Pantera. He, he yeah, always cited me. As, and I, of course, could never hear it or see it yeah. in the stuff he played, but it, whenever I met him, he was always just an awesome guy. Yeah, well, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily hear the uh, hear the influence to to be influenced. I, you know, I'm sure they had some Beatle influence too, and you can't you right can't hear exactly. That. Yeah, you can't hear that in Pantera. But uh, how do you feel of that? I mean, you're you're really taking that, uh, you know, that that place uh, place in in rock history. And by the way, I I don't know how well rock is doing lately, you know. But you you're taking your place along with guys like you know Rory Gallagher and you know, and some of the other guys you mentioned, Hendrix, and uh, as as being one of the Godfathers. Uh, you're a little after Hendrix. Hendrix was a little earlier, but uh, how do you like that role? Um, it doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. Uh, I also know that there's a whole new crop of uh, guitar players just on the horizon that are taking all the stuff that, that guys like me learned and then guys afterward and guys before, and they're coming up with a new hybrid, and it's going to just blow people away. I've heard some young guys, 14 years old, just recently that are just nuts. And uh, so I'm expecting within the next couple of years there's going to be a whole new sort of thing happening with guitar player singers that isn't exactly like Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or any of those. It's going to be something new. Uh, do you have kids yourself? I sure do. I got a daughter, uh, 20, and a son, 17. Uh, either of them interested in the music business? Well, I don't know about the business, but they love music. Uh, both my, my daughter sings and plays piano, and my son plays guitar and piano and writes songs and sings and also but he's mostly into making movies so uh, that's where his real passion lies and he's very good at that well if you're just tuning in our special guest today is pat travers and you mentioned movies he might he might be better off financially ultimately to get into movies than music oh really yeah <laughs> although there's a lot of broke movies that makers out there too it's probably just as bad but well, it's a tough gig. I mean, you, you know, ever since Napster and, uh, and the downloads and the illegal downloads and all that, it's a, a tough gig making records, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. It's it's pretty hard. I mean, you know, income from a CD isn't as, uh, nowhere near what it ever used to. So, you know, you kind of have to depend on playing live and stuff, and that's a challenge, too. But, uh, hey, it's what we do. It's our passion, and we'll just keep on doing it. Hey, Pat, what was the turning point in your career, or if you prefer, what was the turning point in your life? Well, you know, I got to say, and it happened to me early, and I, I was uh, very fortunate. I think I was about uh, nine years old and saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. A lot, I'm sure a lot of people responded with the same. Sure. That's okay. That. And, uh, but that just got the spark in me, and I never forgot it, and I, I uh, just knew it was a matter of time before I would be doing 
you know, playing music, writing music, and and doing all this stuff. I I was just so inspired to do it. It wasn't so much the Beatlemania and the adulation. It was, to me, I saw these four confident guys who were, you know, pretty much in charge of their own destiny. And and I, even though I couldn't ever articulate it in that uh, way when I was that old, there, there was just something I knew was right about this and, and I liked. So I always kept that in my head, and I guess I still do, you know. Pat Travers has been our special guest. Pat, do you want to leave us with anything? Uh, maybe give us the Facebook again. Oh, yeah, right. Please uh, contact me at uh, Pat Travers Band Facebook page, and uh, that's going to be me responding to your queries or whatever. And, um, you know, you got to get our new album, Can Do, because it's the best album I ever did. Well, that sounds great, and I trust me, I, I, everything I hear about it sounds great. Uh, how about shows? How many shows a year do you like to do? Well, <laughs> I like to do a lot of shows. I just don't like to travel to a lot of shows. Yeah. You know, that's the problem. But uh, we, uh, boy, we're doing at least 100 this year, and um, probably next year at least about the same, if not more. So, But, uh, you know, it's what we have to do. Give, give the album again. The name of the album is Can Do. It's on the Frontiers record label, and it's available at iTunes and Amazon.com and also at Best Buy stores if you're out and about. So um, you can get it a few different places. Well, Pat, thanks for all the great music over the years. Thrilled to have you, and uh, have, a, have a great, great uh, rest of the year here, and, uh, and good luck with the new album. My pleasure, Frank. Thanks so much for uh, talking to me today.